The following For the City sermon is from our sermon series by Pastor Scott Rising entitled Feast for Failures from the book of Luke. We hope you enjoy it. All right. Hey, so we're going to be looking at Luke 6. Uh, first section, let's look at 12 through 16. I'm not going to read all of it, but there's, there's a couple of things that I want you to really see that, that stick out right away. His first thing is, notice it says, in these days, he, Jesus, went out to the mountain to pray. And all night, he continued in prayer to God. Right? Have you ever prayed all night? I have not. Right? But I have spent much time in prayer because I couldn't sleep. And I figured, well, if I'm going to be awake, I might as well be praying. Jesus set aside time to pray. Now, that may not even stand out to you, but it really stands out to me in the sense that this is the God-man, and yet he values time in prayer with his Father. And so if Jesus values time in prayer, how much more ought we not just go to the throne of grace and pray, right? Jesus is, in his divine nature, is sovereign. And in Jesus' sovereignty, he has ordained that prayer would be a thing that, that we do, that it's talking to God. Christ has direct access to God the Father. And because of what Jesus has done on the cross, you and I have direct access to go to the Father through Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. So I've been asking that the Lord just create in us a, a heart of prayer, right? Uh, but, but why did he go primarily to pray that evening? I, think, I don't think it's a stretch to say he was going to the Father because he was getting ready to choose 12 men to be his apostles, right? Uh, apostles just means sent one, right? Uh, now, now, by the way, if you're familiar with the Bible, then, then it probably stands out to you. If you're not familiar with the Bible, I want you to know this is a great place to be. And, and I mean that because when I used to start gathering at the church when I was 23 and new to Christ, I did not know anything about the Bible. And, and that's where we all actually start, right? And so just keep coming, keep sticking around. But here's what I want you to know. This mirrors the, the 12 tribes of Israel, all right? So remember how Jesus, in his interactions with the Pharisees, is basically saying, you're trying to create a new religion. It's not going to work. I'm going to blow up your old religion. I am the way, the truth, the life. No one's going to come to the Father except through me. And this is what he's setting up. So it kind of mirrors Exodus, the book of Exodus, right? You had Moses up on the mountain. He's given the law. He comes down. He gives the law to the people, right? And, and he shoot the 12 tribes of Israel are there. Okay, this is the same situation, let's say, only this is the, the new way that God's going about uh, redeeming his people. Never think, by the way, just a side note, that the law is the way to be saved, God, in his kindness, set people free, right, in Egypt, and then he gave them the law. It's the same. It's the same for us. God comes and he saves us, he redeems us, he rescues us. Now we receive his word as truth, right? And, and we're continuing to walk in that freedom. So Jesus is doing this. So this mirrors the 12 tribes of Israel, and now he's choosing 12 men to be his apostles, to be his sent ones. Um, by the way, Judas is in there, right? Well, there's a couple of Judases, but the traitor, the one who's going to betray Jesus. So that, he prayed all night, Lord, give me the best team, and he got Judas. And by the way, that was ordained. It should cause us to think about sometimes when suffering comes into our lives. Did I not pray right? Did I not believe right? Did I not do right? No, God many times allows these things to happen to bring about what he's already preordained. Okay, 
So all of that is 12 through 16. But notice this. It's clear Jesus did not have access to all the church growth leadership books. Right? He didn't. He didn't have access to them. Because if he did, he would have never chose this band of misfits. If you look at this list, it's a strange group, right? This is not the, the team you would select if you wanted the most respectable people in the community. I mean, this group of guys was not made up of people whose background or training actually would make them an obvious selection of rabbis in that day, right? Um, rabbis in the first century Palestine, by the way, they didn't go looking to recruit people from the likes of kinds of fishermen, right? Tax collectors, political radicals, and on and on and on. So, so why did Jesus do this? Well, I think there's a lot of reasons why, but one of them is to show that Jesus can work in and through anyone who will follow him. He will. He can and will work through anyone who will follow him. And, and, and here's the thing. The gospel doesn't just create a, a community of strangers into friends. It actually creates a, a family, right, of enemies who become brothers and sisters. And man, you can't see, you can't help but see that in this selection of 12. They would have nothing else in common. See, it'd be easy to just go over to the Elks and choose 12 guys. They obviously like each other already. They're hanging out in the same place. But no, he goes everywhere and he grabs different people from this group. Now remember, Jesus has, we don't know how many disciples at this time, but he chooses 12 in particular to represent God in this moment, to be his sent ones, to be the ones who are going to take the gospel message to the ends of the earth. Now, they don't know all that yet. But, but notice, old, young, far left, extreme right, Ohio State fans, Michigan fans, Romans, Greeks, Jews can all come together and have nothing else in common, but this is the thing that unites, is the good news of Jesus Christ. Right? You can see that in choosing the 12 apostles, Jesus shows that he has a long-term project in view. And, and that project's called the church. It's, it's the gathering of God's people. It's a new community. And by the way, a church, it's, it's more than this, but it's, it's natural-born enemies coming together to love one another for the sake of Christ. That's what it is. And when you continue to read this text in Luke 6, you're going to see over and over it's not just about loving people like you. He says, that's easy. The world does that. Sinners do that. I want you to love people who, who are your enemies. Because I'm going to bring them into the family. And now you've got to welcome them. And you've got to love them. And he's going to, spoiler alert, he's going to tell you that the means and the power of doing that is I loved you while you were my enemy. It's the gospel, right? So don't over-spiritualize Jesus in this moment. Right? You can't actually over-spiritualize him. He is spirit and truth. Um, but he didn't pray for magical conversions and just hope it would happen. Right? He, he recognizes that to reach the world, it's going to require a new leadership, a family, and it's going to be a lengthy mission. And, and it's gonna, they're going to need power. And so he's going to give of himself. I will be with you to the ends of the age. So this really is a transitional point in Luke at this moment. We have numerous transitions throughout Luke, but this is a big one. All right, so let's, let's get into the, let's say, the main part of the text here. So Luke 6, 17 through 26 is the main part. So it says, and he came down with them, and he stood on a level place. 
with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon who came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured. And all the crowd sought to touch him. For power came out from him and healed them all. All right, pause. Think of concentric circles, right? What you're going to see is you're going to see Jesus has got his 12, right? But even within that 12, he's going to have his main three. He's going to have Peter, James, and John that he's going to spend a lot of his time really investing in, and he loves all the 12. But then he has a greater group that's, that's let's call his disciples. But even outside of that next group, you have all sorts of people that are gathered in that moment, right? Um, you, you have the crowds. They may be there just to get healed. They don't actually want to hear what he has to say. They may be there because they heard about this, this spectacle of Christ. Everywhere he goes, there's this conflict, and I just want to be there. And they didn't have daytime TV, so they thought I'd be there, right? You had haters, right? You had the curious, but you had all these people, and Jesus is speaking to them all. But notice... The next phrase, and he lifted up his eyes on his disciples. Don't miss that. It's really important that you see that. He lifts up his eyes upon his disciples. The disciples, Christ follower, Christ learner, uh, apprentice, right? Jesus does. You follow him. You learn from him. You walk like him. You live like him. You talk like him. You learn. Okay, that's what it means. And look what he said, right? He said, blessed blessed which by the way doesn't mean good fortune like bless you i hope something great happens to you today does it doesn't mean that instead it means deep joy all right satisfied contentment oh so happy right not in a flippant way but in a profound way that's what blessed means so he said blessed are you now now pay attention to what he says because it might it, if it doesn't take you by surprise because you're too used to it blessed are you who are poor for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, and when they exclude you, and revile you, and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day. Leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven. For so their fathers did to the prophets. But woe to you, woe, uh, grief, anguish, trouble. He's saying, woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation, your comfort in this day and age, right? Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. <laughs> okay, we got work to do, right? Because if you just read that, you're like, uh-oh, I laughed yesterday. I ate a big breakfast. Ooh, this is not good news, right? So we, we have some work to do. What, what is Jesus saying? I mean, because this teaching is startling. I mean, it's very blunt, right? I mean, Turning our normal assumptions of, about what we believe about life completely upside down. It's completely upside down. This is not what we would normally think of when someone says, blessed are you. When, I, I think when your fridge is full 
when laughter is high, right, and, and all your bills are paid, and you're somewhere on a beach with the sun, that's for my wife, right, and you have people who love you, and you have people who you can love, and right, isn't that what we think? That's blessed. Jesus' words here call us to really, really radically rethink and recalibrate what we believe about life here and what we believe about the life that is to come. I mean, it's startling, right? He's telling us how to be happy in this life and how to be happy in the life that is to come. And it's completely opposite of what everything inside of me believes. It's contrary, right? Uh, Caution. This is not a qualification for how to receive blessings. I think a lot of times people read this that way. I mean, so much of the teaching on the Beatitudes, especially in, in Sunday schools that had flannel graphs and, and let's say the faint hint of mildew and, um, and well-intended teachers led people to believe really in the wrong direction about what Jesus is saying here. Uh, it became morality teaching, right? I mean, think about it. Surely Jesus is not declaring that every single poor person in this world is going to be a recipient of God's saving grace, no matter what their life circumstances are and no matter how they enter into poverty. He can't be saying that, right? You know, or, or you know, otherwise, here's, here's what I say. Here would be my conclusion to that text then. Okay, get rid of your wealth, starve yourself, weep your eyes out, be hated, and you'll be blessed. Go. Meaning, he can't be saying that. Why? Because that's not what they did. It's not what they did. They understood. That's not what he's saying. So, so it really requires some thinking here, in a sense. The Beatitudes are not a series of commands about how one pleases God and enters into the kingdom. I think a lot of people think that, right? Jesus is declaring that you are blessed because yours, notice the word, is is the kingdom of God, is the, not will be. If he's talking to his disciples. He's talking to those who are in Christ, those who believe, those who have faith, those who trust in him. The kingdom is yours. Right now, if you're in Christ, the kingdom is yours. Already? Not yet, though, right? I mean, otherwise, people aren't dying, right? And, and all the things that we're longing for will be true, but they're not yet But you have God as your Father ruling and reigning in your life. Therefore, it is. Kingdom's about rule. It's about reign. Okay? So, the point is, simply put, he's saying, you're my disciples. Therefore, you are blessed no matter what circumstances come your way. (sighs) Do I naturally think that way? No. Which is why we have to have our minds transformed not conformed to my feelings, to my emotions, or to even what this world says. I have to have my mind completely radically transformed to believe the words of Christ, right? That's what faith is. It's trusting, okay? So if you recall last week, I said this. I said, what makes us most weary aren't the things we do, it's what we believe. I asked you to think about it. Because I think that, that theme is going to continue to come out over and over, especially throughout this sermon on the plain. Okay? The idea is going to be ex- expanded throughout Jesus' teaching. Blessings combined with the woes. Assuming happiness has nothing to do with external circumstances in this evil age. Right? Do you ever think, if I just had this promotion, then I'd be happy? You get the promotion? And let me ask you. Six minutes, six months, six years, are you happy always? No. 
Might have made you happy in the moment. Good. Rejoice. But, but it's not the be-all, cure-all for you. If I just had this, this girl, she liked me, boy, then my life would be great. Now she likes me, now she's my wife, and I don't like her. Now I want to be divorced. And this is what we are messed up when we think that we can actually get life out of the created order. We worship and serve the creature instead of the creator. That's a problem. And Jesus is saying, no, if, you, if you're trusting in me, you are blessed. You are blessed. Why? Because essentially, spoiler alert, my wrath's not on you anymore. I love you. You're in my grace, right? Okay, so let's, let's break these down. Let's look at the first 20. We're going we're gonna to do a little, little comparison, right? Uh, a little contrast. Look at verse 20 and verse 24, right? And this is the first point. Poverty with Jesus is blessed, while wealth without Jesus is bankrupt. It's the easiest way I can say it, right? Because that's exactly what he's saying. Blessed are you who are poor. Poor means more than you just don't have coin in the bank. It, it, means, it means weakness. You're very vulnerable, right? Uh, many poor within our own country, it's not, I mean, there's extreme poverty where that's the case. But if you've never been outside of America to see poverty to where they are now enslaved in different things, and it does happen in America, and it's, it's horrific, Jesus is saying more than just poor, don't have money. He's saying, blessed are you who are poor. You're weak. You're vulnerable, right? For yours is present, present tense, the kingdom of God. He said, but then, but woe to you who are rich, meaning you have power. You have power. Oh, you run the day, right? For you have received your comfort. Do you see the contrast? Let me ask you a question. Are some people closer to God by virtue of their economic status? You don't have to answer that out loud. Hmm. I'm going to say maybe. Hang with me, okay? Because we're no more equally or further away. It's all grace. I got you. We will see, though, this theme throughout Luke's gospel. And you'll see it throughout the Bible. Jesus sends away this, this, the rich young ruler very sad. Why? Because that man was seeking salvation on his own terms. You'll see that, and you'll see that over and over. Truly, Jesus says in Luke 18, he says, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Then then his disciples asked the question, well then, who could be saved? Because what he's saying is, you can't take a camel and shove them through the eye of a needle. It's impossible. And so they're, they're, they're understanding what he's teaching. He says, okay, Okay, Jesus, I believe your words. And if that's true, then who can be saved? The answer is, by yourself, like the rich young ruler, nobody. No, it's impossible. Okay, and then he says this. But the disciples asked that. So Jesus says, what is impossible with man is, impossible, is possible with God. Why? Because I can transform, essentially he's saying, because I can transform that camel. It's like, honey, I shrunk the kids. Whoop! And put them right through. I can make them, I can make microfiber dust and just get them through. I can get this thing done. You can't. See, that's the point. See, poverty in itself is not blessed. It's not blessed, right? But the poor's extreme vulnerability in this moment, it makes them more likely uh, than the rich to place their trust in God. It does. It absolutely does. You're so weak. You need a savior. Yes, you're correct. 
so are you. You just don't see it. Because you think you can do this thing. Uh, Christianity is just a crutch. Well, it's actually worse than that. We're completely paralyzed to do anything about our situation. We definitely need to be resurrected. We're dead, right? So, so understand that this is what's happening right here, right now. But, but don't make the mistake of thinking, well, then all poor people get into heaven. No, I know many poor people who are extremely greedy and hard-hearted. So as we go through the Gospel of Luke, you're going to hear these four categories. If you don't write them down, don't remember them, it's okay. I think it's helpful when you think about wealth or poverty as a Christian. One is that there's, there's four categories, really. There's the righteous poor. Let's call that Jesus. <laughs> Jesus said, I ain't got no place to lay my head, right? Uh, foxes have holes. And, uh, but the Son of Man, he's got no home. He's homeless, right? Okay, well, then you also have the righteous rich, Lydia, uh, seller of fine purple goods in the book of Acts and help fund church planting, right? Go get your money. Be righteous with it. All right, then there's the unrighteous, let's say poor, let's say Judas, right? He's stealing. He's, he's corrupt. He, he loves money, right? And then you also have the unrighteous rich. Um, oh, I did that. In, in reverse there. You have righteous rich or righteous poor. Um, and so you see this. So you have unrighteous rich, you have unrighteous poor. You have righteous rich and you have righteous poor. Those are your four categories. So you might not have a lot of money, but you can be generous with it. And you cannot hold on to it as though it's your life. Right? So you'll see that over and over. I'm going to give you one text on this. We're going to move on to the second point. Proverbs 37 through 9. I think if you think about this, you'll, you'll see uh, the beauty of, of having a gospel perspective when it comes to money. He says, two things I ask of you. Deny them not to me before I die. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you, who is, and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God, right? So what's he asking for? Just daily bread. Jesus is going to teach the disciples this is how we pray, right? So it's okay if you have a lot of money. It's what do you do with it? It's okay if you don't have money. The question is, where do you put your hope? So this is what Jesus is getting at. So then he moves on, right, to hunger, right? Look at verse 21a and 25a. You'll see the contrast and so here's the second point. Hunger with Jesus is blessed, while a full stomach without Jesus is empty. Blessed are you who are hungry. Once again, it's more than a rumble in your tumble, right? Your tummy. It's, it's need. It's need. I need. He says, for you shall be satisfied. He says, woe to you who are full, meaning comfortable. You don't think you need God, for you shall be hungry. There will be a day you need me, even if you won't recognize that now. Okay, so what's he saying here? I don't think it's all that confusing. He's saying that if you're trusting in, in the comforts of life and not in Christ, you're, there's going to be a day you're going to be very needy. But if you're trusting in Christ and you feel like my life's not full right now, remember, blessed are you right now because the kingdom is yours, but there will be a day when that kingdom that is yours now will be your reality and it'll be stunning. So believe by faith, trust it. Trust me, that's what he's saying, right? Here's the thing. Don't think that those who trust 
Jesus can't be full. And don't think those who, uh, the opposite is true either. Because I know there's many people throughout history, church history, who have loved Jesus and have died of starvation. Don't ever think that for one second. Like, well, as long as I trust in Jesus, I'll always have a fridge that's full. Maybe not. There are people throughout history that are full of the Holy Spirit, died of starvation, went into the presence of the Lord and in the fullness of God and enjoyed and feasted with Him forever. Following Christ does not promise you a pain-free life. This is exactly what Jesus is telling. Remember, He's looking at His disciples. You're going to follow me. Well, where are you going? I'm going to the cross and I'm going to die. Ah, what's it look like for me? That's where I'm going. He's going to say, you may not die physically, but you're going to die of yourself. The call is to deny yourself. Pick up your cross, instrument of death. Follow me. And he's, he's giving them a sermon right now. And it's basically count the cost. I want to be in my kingdom. This is what it looks like. We're going to go low. <laughs> We're going to get low. I really like the idea of you becoming king and us, you know, getting this thing on. That'll come. It's not going to come in the way you think. And so he continues to show them. On the flip side of the coin, there are many who have feasted on the finest of food in this world, has to offer only to spend eternity under the wrath of God. And by the way, it's not because they had food and comfort. It's because they trusted in their food and comfort. They worshiped their food and their comfort, right? Uh, the parable of the rich man and Lazarus is going to point this out in vivid detail. So hang in there if you don't grab all that right now. Third point, weeping with Jesus is blessed while laughing without Jesus is sorrowful, right? Blessed are you who weep. Look at verse 21b. Blessed are you who weep. You're, you're grieving, right? Now. Why? For you, you shall laugh. But woe to you who laugh, verse 25b, laugh, it's not like, ha, 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 that was really funny. It's not that, it's gloating. It's winning. It's, it's, it's looking at other people and, and thinking, man, what a bunch of losers. I mean, if they would have just like done the thing, studied in high school, went to college, they could be like us. But they didn't. Now look at them. Who cares? Oh, they just want some money? Mm, no. Ha, loser. Bye. It's, it's gloating. It's laughing at people. It's looking down upon people. He says, woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Right? Um, just, just to be clear, Jesus is not looking down on laughter. Right? I think some churches, this has become their theme. Right? Uh, so we should never translate it to say this. Right? Blessed are the grim, the grumbling, and the joyless Christians. <laughs> Blessed. Oh, may it never be of us, right? Um, Charles Spurgeon once said this. He said, he said a lot of things, but he said, there are some preachers he had known had appeared to have their neckties twisted around their souls. M meaning there's just no joy in them. The life had been choked out of them, right? Why, why can't you laugh? Well, it was not very holy. I guarantee you, Jesus, he laughed it up with his disciples, with his apostles. He enjoyed life. He doesn't mean we shouldn't laugh. So may it never be said of For the City Church, because listen, humor and laughter are good for the soul. They're good and necessary for, for the believer. They really are, right? What is Jesus talking about then? Let's say superficial laughter, 
right? This shallow laughter, laughing at the world, laughing at someone's suffering, laughing at someone's pain. I think that's exactly what he's getting at here. Uh, it, the inability or even the unwillingness, though, to weep at the right things, the, the ability and eagerness to laugh at the wrong things and mock people. That's what he's getting at. That's where he's, that's where he's going, right? Um, uh, I don't want to get into a lot of details, but I saw something on December 22nd that was just like horrific, right? There's a Canadian homeless man, uh, eight young girls ranging from 13 to, to 16 swarmed this homeless man and let's just say did terrible things and this, this man's now no longer alive. And they filmed it and they laughed. It was just pure evil, right? I wish, actually wouldn't, wish I wouldn't have even seen it, but I did, and there you are. But I don't want you to have to think about it, even though I put it in your head. <laughs> Sorry, this is what you get with me. <laughs> it's just evil. What they did was evil, but there will be people who watch that, and they'll laugh, and they'll say, you've got to see this, and they'll laugh together. Woe, woe to you. Who, who not only do these things, but give approval to those who do these things. It's not good. See, as, as disciples of Christ, we should be known for laughing and rejoicing. We should be. But we, we should also be known, and we're called to weep. You're instructed, you're commanded to weep with those who weep, right? We should weep over lost souls. We should weep over the world's misery. We should weep over police officers who are slain in the streets that they're giving their lives to protect. We should weep over the injustices that, that befall many people. And, and sometimes we, we don't see it all. We should weep over battered women. UFC, Dana White, you know. Just goes to show you, your own code of ethics don't work. He said no man should ever put his hands on a woman, and then he did on New Year's Eve. He, he's fired people from the UFC. Now what's he going to fire himself? We're going to find out. The world's watching. The world's watching. And I'm not judging him. I'm not saying I'm better than him. You put me in the same situation where booze is flowing? Maybe. I hope not. hope not. I'm not going to put myself in that situation. But I'm not, I'm not saying. But it's not good in the world. I mean, it's just amazing how many people love the UFC. I'm one of them. You might think, oh, pastor likes violence. Uh, we can talk afterwards. <laughs> But here's the deal. I do love it, but, but here's the deal. They're willing to turn a blind eye to it because they don't want the thing to fall and they don't want their guy to go. That's wrong, right? We should weep over adultery, over divorce, betrayals, over rejection, loneliness, over those who, who now laugh at those they shouldn't. We should weep. We should weep. F family, we weep now but we look forward to the day when we have eternal joy, when we're face-to-face -face with our Savior and all the tears are actually pressed out of our eyes. And, and not only the tears that have been caused to us, but the, the tears we've caused. You've caused tears in your life. You're not just the constant victim. I'm not just the constant victim. We should weep. God help us. This has been part of my prayer this week because I'm not known for weeping. I feel it. It's not coming out of my face all that much. Lord, help me to rejoice at the right things. Help me weep at the things I ought to weep at. Help me to rejoice with those who rejoice. Help me to weep with those who weep. Basically, what I'm saying is, God, just help me to be like you. 
Help me to be like you in that moment. The fourth and and final point that he drives home is that persecution because of Jesus is blessed. While being loved by all without Jesus ends in destruction. Look at verse 22 and 26. He said, blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and when they revile you and spurn your name as evil, comma, pay attention, on account of the Son of Man. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, meaning success and recognition, and they all applaud even when you're wrong, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. All right. Don't miss, I already said, don't miss the words of the Son of Man, right? These words are ever so important right here, right now, because there are actually people within Christendom who actually deceive themselves into thinking that anytime they experience conflict in their lives, that they're being persecuted because of the love of Jesus, right? You ever met that person, right? Let's just say that's not always the case. Let's just say it's not always the case. We should really temper ourselves, right? Sadly, Christians are often at times, and when I, persecuted, excluded, you know, looked upon in not a good way, not for, let's say, their Christianity, but for their lack of it. For their lack of it. The fact that they don't actually have compassion. The fact that they're pointing at someone and mocking someone and laughing at someone. It's not good, right? I've watched people in the name of Jesus behave in person and online in very unpleasant ways with unpleasant personalities. I myself, in my walk with Jesus, have done that. Guilty. If you haven't, applaud, pat yourself on the back. I'm sure you'll get a sticker in heaven. But I have. And, and they're rude. They're insensitive. Scott Rising, you've been thoughtless. Scott Rising, you've been proud. Scott Rising, you've been obnoxiously judgmental. And on and on and on. Why? Because you wrongly thought you've made it. Woe to you. Woe to you. See, the mistake you could all make right now is start thinking you're in the blessed team. You are if you're in Christ. But think that the woes maybe don't apply to realignment of your heart, of your thinking. Woe to you. Make no mistake about it, though. On the flip side of that coin is if if you live... Seek to live like Christ has called you to live. You will be persecuted. You will. There's extremes in persecution, right? The biggest extreme is they take your life, right? And and to die is gain. You go to be with the Lord. But no one should be seeking that out, right? You shouldn't be running around seeking to get persecuted in that way. Um, Others, though, he just said exclude you. You ever been excluded? Because you love Jesus and they don't want you to come to the birthday party because you love Christ. No other reason. I've had that happen, right? It's still painful. It's not the same, but it is painful. Know this, though. You should expect it. Why do I say that? Because Jesus said it. Look at John 15, 18 through 20. He said, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember that the world that uh, remember the word that I said to you: a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. Paul also advised Timothy in Second Timothy three twelve. He said, "Indeed, listen, all right." What does that mean in the Greek? 
means all. Okay, just in case you're like, well, what's the translation? Indeed, all, everyone, who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Will be. Not might be, will be. Likewise, he and Barnabas told the Christians in Antioch and elsewhere, he said in Acts 14, 22, that through many tribulations, many trials, we must enter the kingdom of God. It's guaranteed. Church family, make no mistake about it. If you, if you follow a controversial Christ, then controversy will follow you. It will follow you. It will come. Now, there's times where controversy comes for you and it has nothing to do with Jesus. But many times it does. There's no way to escape it unless, unless you compromise. Unless you compromise truth, unless you compromise conviction. Because of fear of man, or, or you want me to say that different for you? Because of the love of approval. That's really what fear of man is. And if you, can, if you can get that, if you can understand that, boy, you, now you know where to fight by faith. That love. It's a distorted love, right? Fear of man is, is almost always just a love of approval. I know what to say here, but I want you to not think poorly of me. So I'll bite my tongue. And everybody says, oh, how peaceable. Maybe you're just a coward. I'm not saying you are. I'm saying maybe you are, right? You have to work through that. But, but, but here's the deal. Yes, we should be thought well of by outsiders. Paul tells us that, right? Paul tells Timothy that. However, there's a difference between being thought well of by outsiders and universal popularity. Where no one ever says anything about you. You know why? It's because no one's ever met you. You just, you're a shapeshifter. It's whatever room you're in, you have no convictions. You're a jellyfish in that moment. If everyone's always applauding you, listen, I love bacon. I love it. Not everyone loves bacon, right? So why do you think that everyone would love you? I mean, that's a silly comparison, but, but, but think about it, right? People deceive themselves in, into thinking that if I just, here's, what they, here's how it goes. If I love people like Jesus, then they will get saved and they will just love me. The only problem with that is the Bible, like all of it, right? Like, here's the thing. Jesus loved everyone perfectly, but not everyone received his love as loving or loved him in return. Spoiler alert, they murdered him. That's what love gets you. It gets you persecuted. Love as the Bible defines love which I'm not going to talk about that right now. Why? Because Jesus is going to spend the rest of Luke talking about what's love got to do with it, right? The whole thing. Now you see why Hannah never asked me to come up here. Love, love, love. You want to know what love is? Jesus putting on flesh, being spit, stripped naked, nailed to a cross. That's love. I love you while you were weak, ungodly, enemies. That's love. Not this care bear stuff that we all think of love is. Most of the time, it's just love of you. And me. I'm, by the way, don't be like, oh, he's really rough. I'm, being, I'm telling you, the word ought to be rough on all of us. There's none of us have arrived right now. All week, the, it's like the spirit and the word just, oh, Scott, you really need me. I already knew that, but I just didn't know how much. 
until this week, and I was looking again, right? So God, help me. Help our church. Uh, Family, the desire to be popular is a gospel killer in ministry. I mean it. The desire to be popular, it's a killer to gospel ministry. You sell out every time. Now, some people use that language to talk about, we're just about truth, but they forget grace. It's not what I'm saying. We want to be a people who are full of grace and truth. So we want to be able to be full of both. We want to be able to say the hard thing, not to hurt someone, but because it might be the medicine they need. To what? To see. And to believe. To receive. Grace. Right? So there's an old saying that even a dead dog can swim with the tide. That is funny. You're quick. Think about that, right? That even a dead dog can swim with the tide. To, to swim against the tide, though, you have to be what? Alive and kicking. Alive and kicking, right? Being a yes man, a yes woman of this ungodly culture means drifting with the dead. That's what it means. So, so let me ask you a question. You don't have to answer it out loud, but you should be asking it. I've been asking it. So are you hated for Jesus' sake? Have you ever been excluded for Jesus' sake? Do we suffer insult for Christ? Are we rejected because of Christ? And and if you've answered yes to any of those, then I want to say this to you. Rejoice in that day. Leap for joy. By the way, anytime you see that, you should picture like a lamb just like cross the field. And if you've ever seen this on YouTube, it's hilarious. They're kicking their legs up. They're flailing. Leap for joy. Why? Behold, your reward is great in heaven. It's great in heaven. For so their fathers did to the prophets. It's a blessed thing to be excluded because you seek to love someone's soul. It's a blessed thing. One commentary writer said this about the Beatitudes. He said, In the life of God's people, it will be seen first of all a remarkable reversal of values. The people of God will prize, or you could say treasure, what the world calls pitiable, like pitiful, and suspect, or you could say distrust, what the world calls desirable. Boy, is that helpful to me. When I read that, that was very helpful because essentially this is all about what God values it's what he values this means that you and I will not seek to place our hope in power comfort gloating winning and being loved by all right if, if you have some money great but you don't place your hope in it instead by God's grace we will treasure and if need embrace weakness want grief and being excluded for the sake of Christ. This is what he's saying, right? This, by the way, that's real freedom. That's real freedom. So many of us, we're, we're free in Christ, but we're, we're, we're not walking in that freedom because we so desperately want this person to just approve of me. Well, if you could understand that in Christ, the God of the universe, he, he approves of you. Why? Because the blood of Christ covers all your sin and the old has passed away and behold, the new has come. You're a new creation. He says, that's my beloved son. That's my beloved daughter. They're mine. 
So if the rest of this world doesn't approve of you, can you be okay with that? See, it used to be very popular, not really, to be a Christian in America. The day is over. The day is over. If you're expecting someone to come up and be like, hey, nice fish on your t-shirt, fish bump. It's not happening. It's not happening. I don't know if that ever happened, but it's definitely not happening now. It's just not. That, that oh, let's play nice with the, with the people who say they love Jesus. It's, it's over. But don't think that the rest of the world is just wanting to stab you in the head. I can tell you right now, I've, I've had more pleasant interactions in the city of Greensburg with people who don't love Jesus than maybe with some of the very crotchety religious folks. I have. But I'm telling you, there comes to a point where you get to the line and you look them in the eye and you tell them you love them and you tell them Jesus loves them and you say, it's time. You've got to turn from living this way and trust Christ. And they say, bye. Actually, they don't even say that. They just ghost you. They just ghost you. That's the truth. Let me show you how this works real, real quick. We're talking about what the world values compared to what God's people value and what God himself values. Let me show you how this works. Imagine right now someone who doesn't love Jesus has put all their hope in this career that is big time money, big time comfort. They are very full. Their life is good. They lose that job and never to be able to regain a job that's even close to that. What happens to them apart from Christ? They're crushed. By the way, it's not hard to imagine this in this day. Are you even paying attention? Like, it's not hard to imagine. They're crushed. Their whole life was that. Why? Because that was the altar that they worshiped at. Okay? And, and now it's gone. And they are, they are, they're, they're probably going to get angry. They're going to get bitter. They're going to get resentful. They're going to say, what is life worth living for? I used to have a 401k. It's gone. I don't even know why I exist. Right? Something like that. And there'll be stages of that. What, same scenario, now Christian. At first, it might look the same, quite honestly. But, but you're going to weep. You are going to weep. If you're thinking, oh, I, would not, I wouldn't weep. I'm so full of faith. You're full of something. <laughs> You'd weep. But then hopefully you have enough community around you. But even if you don't, you have the Holy Spirit dwelling in you. He says, blessed are you. Why? Because the kingdom is yours. Trust me. If you, say this person's 53, right? If you're 53, I'm not talking to you. I don't even believe it works like that. But anyway, and you live to 80, right? I'm not good at math. Do that math. If you had to suffer from 53 to 80 and, and want and weep and cry, you have eternity with me forever. But listen, that's not what the text says. It doesn't say hang in there till you die. It says you're blessed now. Why? Because he's with you now. He's with you in the pit. He's with you in the wanting. He's with you in the weeping. He's with you. He will fill up your cup. You may not have nothing in your bank account. But you have him, 
And if you have him, you're blessed. Oh, so happy. But I want. It's okay to want. It's not okay to put your, your whole hope in existence upon that want. Because it's a horrible God, whatever it is, unless it's Christ. So I trust him by God's grace. True disciples, though you be possibly poor, hungry, weeping, rejected, are blessed. The question becomes, ready? Are you his followers? Are you his disciples? You. Are you? I'm just going to, by faith, believe you are. But ask yourself. Remember in my prayer at the beginning, you can't hide from God. You can hide from me. You can fool me. I already assume you're good. I don't really do that. I get to know you. <laughs> and then I make you work. Because <laughs> I love you. Because I love your soul. But are you his? It's, it's a good thing to ask that every once in a while. Now, don't go dwelling on it and staring at your navel and picking out the lint and saying, I don't think I am because I said ding fod yesterday when I was mad. That's covered in Christ too. Are you his disciples? Are you his followers? Then you're blessed. No matter what situation you find yourself in right now. You're blessed. You are blessed. His love, his grace, his mercy is upon you. You're as white as snow. You're fully forgiven. As far as the east is to the west, your God sees no sin. Because that person's dead. Because believe it or not, the moment you trust and believe in Jesus Christ, your life is hidden in Christ. That means your old life is hidden in the grave. And when Jesus is resurrected from the grave, you're resurrected to new life. You're a new creation. And now you have been forgiven of all your sin. And you have the righteousness of Christ. He's given it to you. And, and his delight and his love is upon you. You went from being an enemy of God into being a son or a daughter of the living God. And if he loved you so much to send his son to die for you while you were warring against him, how much more might he love you now that you're his beloved child? More than you and I can begin to understand. And so you're blessed Remember, once again, and this is how we're going to end, these are not qualifications for being his disciples. You could actually say Jesus is actually the perfect fulfillment of the Beatitudes, if you think a little bit of it in an abstract way, right? right? Um, he became poor or weak, right? You could say. Right? He, he was, Jesus has existed in his divine nature forever. There's never been a time there was not Christ, okay? He became poor. He was born into a poor family, right? Into a poor community. He left all the beauty of being surrounded in the throne room of heaven, having angels and seraphim, and singing holy, 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 praising him. He owns everything, and he sets that all aside, and he becomes poor, Okay? He becomes weak for us. He went without food. He went without comfort. He wept over Jerusalem. He wept at, at, at people he loved as he saw what, what sin had done in their lives and had caused in their lives. He was rejected. He was beaten. He was bloodied. He was nailed to a cross so that we could be forgiven. So that we could be 
in a sense, made lovable. See, we think God loves us because we're lovable. That's not actually the gospel. That's what the world might teach you. It's not true. God had to do something to make us lovable. We weren't lovable at all. We were weak, ungodly sinners. Christ died. Yes, he loved us in that, but it wasn't because we were lovable. His grace, his mercy, his blood that covers all your sins makes you lovable. And now he draws near to you as you draw near to him and he embraces you. Why? Because he can draw near to you, but in your sin he never could. He made you lovable. That's the beauty of the gospel. And now, by his grace, we embody the qualities, those qualities, his qualities. Why? Because his spirit lives in us as Christians. So if you're like, I don't think I can do that. Well, that means you've been paying attention. You can't. But he can do that in you and through you for his name's sake. So the question is, will you trust him? Because that's what disciples do. I hope you will. I hope you will. And as I look across many, and I know many of you, I know you do. And so we thank God for that. Because it's a gift. Faith is a gift. And so ask for more of it. He loves to give it to those who ask. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Uh, for this day. And Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, I ask that you would create in us that heart. I pray that you would create in the body of For the City Church and the churches in the surrounding area and to the ends of the earth, that we would just continually come back to the truth of your word. Uh, Lord, that we would be confronted by this word, that we would be challenged and, and changed and transformed, but we'd be comforted too because we know that there's nothing in us that can do this, yet we come to you, we ask that you would do it. We ask that you would create in us that heart, not for any of our own glory or, or pats on the back, but because we seek to magnify the great name of Jesus Christ. Help us to make disciples that you have called us to make, that we see clearly in the word. And Lord, that you would continue to grow your church uh, here at For the City and all the churches that love you and proclaim your good news. And Lord, may you be more famous in the city of Greensburg uh, because we sought to do that, that we might just make the name of Jesus great. We need your help to do that. We ask in the beautiful name of Christ that you would do it for your sake, for our joy and for the good of this city. Amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon. If you found it helpful, we encourage you to enjoy more of our sermons, find out more information about For the City, or how to partner with us through prayer and giving at www.forthecity.church. For the City exists to magnify Jesus by making disciples who share and show the transforming power of the gospel and plant churches that multiply.